Most people have heard of phytoestrogens, but did you know there are beneficial phytoandrogens that mimic and support testosterone and more? The top source of these is pine pollen. If you're looking for 100% natural hormonal support for men and women, you've got to try this. Right now, Lost Empire Herbs' best-selling pine pollen is available for one penny plus shipping and handling. Go to GeniusPollen.com to find out more and grab yourself a bag today. No hidden charges, no trial offer, no shenanigans. Just a low-cost way to try Lost Empire Herbs' top product for next to nothing. Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast, now part of the Finding Genius Foundation. Um, My guest is uh, Robin Buell. She's a Georgia Research Alliance Eminent Scholar Chair in Crop Genomics, all this at the University of Georgia. So we're going to talk about uh, biofuels created from crops and also plant genomics. So Robin, thank you for coming. Great. I'm glad to be here with you today. Yeah. Well, if you would tell me what got you interested in, in you know, in crops, studying the genomics and studying uh, biofuel, you know, what, what, what's a bit about your background? So I've been working on plants ever since I was an undergraduate. I've been doing plant genomics since 1999 when I joined the Institute for Genomic Research. And I, I don't know if you and your audience is aware, but genomics is a very recent field of science. It's only been around since 1995. It was pioneered by Craig Venter. And it's the interface of biology, genetics, and computation. Um, And without any of those, we couldn't have the era of genomics now, which is where you would generate the DNA sequence of an organism. You'd make predictions about what what genes are there and what do those genes do to give that organism, you know, the ability to reproduce and grow and deal with stress. And so I've been doing plant genomics now since 1999. I work on a lot of different crops, but with various energy crises and the sustainability aspect of uh, the planet right now, I became interested in how we could use plants for fuels directly. And using genomics, you can make a lot of basic advancements in our knowledge about specific plants and how plants take that carbon dioxide and make what we would call fixed carbon, right? Wood or leaves. And then we know the biochemistry and then can we modify that so that the plants will actually start to produce fuels that we could use for, you know, either powering cars or to replace other petroleum-based products. And so that's how I became interested in this. That is understanding the genome, which is, you know, your DNA sequence or blueprint so that you can then modify it so that plants do something other than, you know, food or feed or ecological application. I think I understand that certain plants, you can, you know, grind them up and make them into fuel, but you mentioned the plant making fuel itself. So what's the difference there? What does that mean? So, so definitely. Yeah. So we've heard about, we've heard about, you know, maybe taking soybeans and crushing them, getting the oil and use that as biodiesel. But, you know, now that we can understand a plant genome and we can do gene editing and we can do biotechnology, we can actually make the plants 
instead of making, say, lots of wood or lots of uh, leaves, we can actually introduce the genes to make very specific molecules such as precursors for fuels and have the plant produce it and then just extract it back from them. So this would be like a new era, sort of, sort of like, you know, how insulin, right? Now, now initially insulin, insulin came from cadavers, then it came from pigs, and now it's made by this bacterium called Escherichia coli in the lab. And it's produced essentially um, in a little bioreactor inside a laboratory, and you can get very pure insulin from there. And essentially what we'd like to do is take plants and make them be little bioreactors making specific fuels or fuel precursors or plastic precursors um, so that we're not going to be dependent on petroleum products. So what would that look like? What kind of plant would be amenable to this? What precursors? And then you know, how would you harvest them from the plant? So so this is what's really sort of exciting. So, so I think what we learned um, around 2009, 2010, when everyone was trying to grow corn and then take corn and produce ethanol from it, which caused a lot of perturbations in the food market, in the grain grain market for corn. Like we really don't want to upset that, that market. We don't want people taking prime agricultural production lands and making biofuels. What we'd like to do is find different plants that are suited to areas of the country or world that maybe isn't being used for agricultural production, but is well adapted to different kinds of plants and have that produce the biofuel. So potentially you could use trees. Um, and these could be trees that, that may grow fast, um, like poplar. You could use switchgrass, which is a perennial prairie grass, but it doesn't require much um, input to grow. Um, you could think of other things that are more adapted to very dry climates as well and have them produce it. So I think we don't want to think of like a one solution for all of this. We want to think of let's find a plant that would grow well in a, in a specific geographic region with different amounts of moisture and nutrients and light and see what we can get it to produce without having to have a lot of inputs. And so I think now we have the technology and the knowledge to start to modify a lot of different kinds of plants for very specific regions. What do you mean? So you'd, you'd modify a plant to make some precursor substance, but so then you, you end up taking the plant body and grinding it up. And because cool. of that substance now in the plant and some concentration, now it's usable as a fuel or yeah, literally how would it work? Yeah, it, it could be as simple as that. Just like thinking about taking soybean seed and crushing it and getting biodiesel out of that. Or you could have the plant make a precursor that's very stable. And then you would crush the leaves. You could grind the wood. Um, you could have it produce seeds. And then you would make this precursor that you would then have in a, take to a factory. And then the factory would do one of the last conversion events to make it into either biofuel or even what we would call a bioproduct, say a bioplastic or other kinds of molecules that are used in large quantities that are currently being uh, sourced from petroleum products. Any candidates in mind or how far is this just in the idea stage or? I think it's at the idea stage and the proof of concept in a laboratory setting. And I think we have to do that first to show that, first of all, that we can engineer these plants to produce compounds of interest and that we can do it without major consequences on the plant growth. Because if if we think about it, we're going to ask a plant that normally would just take carbon dioxide and water 
and a few nutrients and it would just make leaves and wood and it would make seeds and it would reproduce and grow. And we're going to ask that plant, we're going to re-engineer that plant to produce these precursors for biofuels or bioplastics. And that's going to potentially come at a cost, right? That maybe the plant isn't as healthy. Maybe the plant doesn't grow as fast. And so we have to do these proof of concept experiments um, in the laboratory so that we can then move to the field to test them in a field condition. Because remember, the environment's going to have a major impact on plant growth and development. And then once we've shown that we can do it in a field setting, we can then move to these uh, pilot scales uh, where we can actually test it in the field. Most supplements are taken on faith and could take weeks or months to have an effect. Even supplements backed by scientific studies may or may not deliver those same benefits to you. But what if you could feel the results of what you took within just a few days? Lost Empire Herbs offers the highest quality, wild-harvested, non-irradiated pine pollen, and that can dramatically impact your hormones fast. Right now, you can grab it for one cent plus shipping and handling at GeniusPollen.com. Okay, so that idea is, you know, early on. What, what else are you working on that's that's further along in your research that would be interesting to talk about in yeah. terms of genomics, it's like- yeah, so so I can I can talk about one project that we have right now that we, we're about one year into it. And so this this involves taking tomatoes. So we all know tomatoes grow quickly and they grow, you can grow them in a greenhouse, you can grow them in the field, and the tomatoes produce a lot of fruit. And in those fruits, it's compounds called terpenes. And terpenes have a lot, there's a there's 50,000 kinds of terpenes. There's a lot of uses for different terpenes. Some are used as antimicrobials, some are used as insecticides, some are, are nutrition com- content compounds. Um, there's a lot of different types of terpenes. If you know like citronella, um, that active compound is a terpene. You can think okay. about, yeah, yeah. So plants produce a lot of terpenes and they have a lot of different uses. Some are used in agriculture, some are used in pharmaceuticals. Some are nutrition, like those uh, red pigments you see in tomato fruit, that's a terpene. So these have a lot of different really important uses. And humans obviously have been using plants to, for their natural terpene production for thousands of years. So, so what we'd like to do is some of these terpenes come from plants or even, say, from microbes. And they're very hard to source in a sustainable manner. And so what we'd like to do is re-engineer tomato to produce these high-value terpenes in tomato fruit. And so what we're doing right now is we're getting a catalog of the genes in the tomato fruit responsible for terpene production. And then we're actually going to remove all of those genes so that the fruit doesn't produce terpenes. And then we're going to stick in biosynthetic genes from other organisms to produce some high value terpene so that we can demonstrate that, yes, we could have a tomato plant that produces something in a sustainable manner in a 90 day period in a greenhouse in the field and you can extract it from tomato fruit. And instead of having to say, grow a plant for 30 years or harvest it from a marine system, you can actually go grow this tomato plant, you can extract it from the fruit, and we already have the processing facility set up, right? We all know that we have canned tomatoes, we have tomato juice, there's all kinds of processing facilities available. So we could just put that into the existing infrastructure so that tomatoes can now be used in a sustainable manner to produce these high value terpenes. Um, what are some other uses for terpenes and which ones would you want to 
have produced in large amounts. So, so I always like to just use an example, one, one example, um, just to get people sort of familiar with like plants produce a lot of natural compounds. So, so if you uh, wanted to use an insecticide to kill um, different insects, you can actually go right now to Lowe's or Home Depot, any, any sort of uh, store, and you could buy uh, this, this insecticide called pyrethrins, uh, uh, pyrethrin-based. And actually, that actually came from uh, chrysanthemums to start with, but now it's actually made synthetically. So that's just an example, I think, of, of something where a plant produces something naturally and we now make it um, through petroleum products. But if we could make it through a plant, that would actually be more sustainable. So we're actually, for what we're doing in this project, we're gonna focus on um, a compound that actually has antimicrobial activity. And we'd like to make sure that we can produce it, that it's not modified and it's produced at high enough levels so that that production in tomato fruit would be a viable production method. Another example would be sweeteners. You can make certain sweeteners as well. Those are terpenes. And we'd like to be able to make sweeteners um, in tomato fruit. Right now, stevia is a sweetener. And then there's other sweeteners that are actually terpenes. And we'd like to be able to produce them. Well, I'm guessing it would be easier for a plant that already produces terpenes to just amp it up versus encourage a plant that doesn't produce a certain terpene to start making it, right? Well, that's a good question, right? Like, why don't you just make the natural plant produce more of it? So first of all, that means we would have to be able to engineer that plant to make it. And we can't do that. We don't have the technology right now to do that in every different plant species. So I like to use this example of sandalwood, which comes from sandalwood trees, which are semi-tropical. And, you know, you have to grow that, that tree for several years in order to extract it. From it. So there's certainly cases of terpenes of interest that you're not going to be able to do that. The other problem is, is that there's other terpenes that are present as well. So then you have to purify your terpene from the other terpenes that are. And so you'd like to sort of have sort of an empty reactor. That's what our goal is with the tomato fruit is that we've stripped out the ability of the tomato to produce terpenes in the fruit and just produce our terpene, right? Well, okay, why do you have to strip out other ones? Can't you just heighten the one of interest and the other ones right along? Or, like, well, I don't know, have you tried this? And what happens to the terpene mix? Let's say if you try to encourage a plant to produce more of one than another, what does it do? Or what could it do? Well, so, so I, I think one of the challenges is, is that in a, in a lot of plants, we, we don't know all the genes responsible for all the other terpene production. And if you sort of think of it as, as um, there's lots of potential reactions a plant could do, right? It could be producing tens or hundreds of different kinds of terpenes. And so if you, you make more of one terpene, it may not make enough of another one that's actually essential. And also if you change production of one, you could inadvertently change production of the other. So there's a lot of different steps and all of a sudden you could be making one enzyme that might work on other terpenes as well. So you sort of want a clean slate when you make, when you do this expression, we would call this um, making a chassis, right? We're going to make a chassis so that we have a tomato fruit that doesn't produce terpenes, but if we give it the genes to produce a specific terpene, it'll make it and it'll be clean. And so we sort of have to remove all of those potential confounding uh, genes that are present. And so there are examples where you put in a new gene or you increase expression of a gene and you get other novel things happening. 
And in order for this to become, you know, used, you have to be able to show that it's not just customized for one specific terpene, that it could be used for a lot of different terpenes. So I think that's what's important is it's sort of like going back to that insulin example, right? We produce a lot of pharmaceuticals and proteins in Escherichia coli in the lab because we've made that a nice chassis to to just produce uh, compounds of interest. So we understand everything about the genome and we've highly controlled it so that it's going to produce our compound and nothing. So what would be an ideal chassis, a plant that makes a whole bunch of different terpenes or one that makes a predominant one that you're interested in? What do you think? So I think the ideal plant would be one where you could engineer to produce a specific terpene in the fruit, a specific terpene in the leaves, and you could then essentially have dual purposes or multi-purposes for that plant. So I think that's what's sort of powerful is that if you think about it in a plant, you would have a whole whole set of organs, right? You'd have your, your fruit, you would have your leaves, you could have your stems or wood if it was a tree, and you could produce different compounds in different uh, tissues and organs and features so that you could actually have a multi-purpose engineered crop. A pickup truck right now, right? It's a passenger vehicle. You could put, you know, you could put five people in, in the cab, right? If it was a four-door, and you can also haul stuff in the bed, and then you could hitch up a, a trailer and you could bring something else along. So you want if you're gonna engineer something, you truly the idea would be in the the ultimate idea would be to have a multi-purpose, multi-purpose plant and to make sure that it it was as efficient as possible, right? That you weren't wasting any. So that's so multi-purpose is better than single function making yeah, a plant yeah. that produce terpene X until it explodes, essentially. Yeah. And you know, right now, you know, we're at the early stages. So we're focusing on just producing one terpene in the fruit in a clean manner without any interference from the native ability of the tomato fruit to make terpene. So I guess if you put it's probably a seesaw, if you push it too far, then the plant may suffer to the point where it can't be grown. That's exactly right. It's not healthy. That makes sense. Yeah. And the reason we thought a lot about tomato fruit, right, is because it's already producing a lot of its own natural terpenes, those carotenoids, those pigments that you see in the fruit when it ripens. So it's already geared up to make the precursors for, for the terpenes. And we just want to remove those from the fruit and stick our genes in there to make our terpene. Now the plant needs other terpenes in the leaves and in the stems and then actually in the seeds, but just in the pulp of the fruit, we wanted to make our terpene. And we don't want any interference by the natural terpene biosynthetic machinery in the fruit. What about identifying plants that seem to produce a very high, you know, concentration of a certain chemical, like, I don't know, peppers came to mind. I don't know (laughs) if, no, I'm serious. I don't know if like ghost peppers, you know, they, I guess they produce capsaicin. Maybe they produce like a tremendous amount but they can handle the load. So maybe a plant that has a chassis like that, that can produce, you know, very high amounts of certain compounds and tolerate them might reveal something to you on how to get more efficiency out of this. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the one, the one key thing that's sort of important for your listeners to know is that, you know, to do all of this work, it's biotechnology. And that means we need to be able to manipulate the genes and we need to be able to do it rather straightforwardly. And unfortunately for a lot of plants, we can't do. So we may know what the genome looks like. We may have predictions about what the genes do, but we can't functionally test those in the lab. 
but we can for tomato, and that's why we're working. Are there other ways in which plants could produce the terpenes you want? Like, a, I don't know, let's say there's a, a predator that approaches a certain plant, and in response as a defense, it produces terpenes. I don't, yeah. You know, you probably would have to stimulate the plant to death where it would be yeah, shell-shocked, so, but yeah. know, maybe it's another mechanism. No, so that's that's a really interesting question, right? So actually, if you if you step back for a second... Most plants are very healthy outside, right? Like the plants, some plants, of course, obviously have some disease and have been eaten by insects, but overall, most plants are healthy and they're not being eaten alive. And that's because they have natural defense mechanisms of which one component of that is terpene. But if you go and engineer a plant to have defenses always turned on, that actually has a penalty typically for plant growth and development. And that's known what's known as the plant defense trade-off, right? If the plant has so much energy to expand, either growing or defending itself, there's a little trade-off, too much defense, not as much growth, all growth, no defense. So there's a nice balance there. And that's a really big active area of research so that we can learn how to fine tune that so that plants can have a defense without having an impact on yield. What, what will be done with the plants? And again, let's say you're able to successfully have a tomato plant produce, you know, a certain terpene in abundance. Um, you're harvesting the plants, I guess, grinding them up. And then what do the remains go to? Are they, can they be put back, put back into the soil or are they, they now something that needs to be segregated? What would happen, you think? Yeah, so, so if we were able to do that, right, the rest of the plants, which would be the stems, right, and the, and the leaves would just be, um, once this, you'd have to, you know, it would be a regulated um, plant, you would have to make sure that, that you've, you've disposed of the plant properly. But, you know, if you've ever grown tomato fruit in a greenhouse, you know that you can continuously harvest that fruit over and over and over again. So you can get your first ripe fruit in, in less than 90 days, but you can continually harvest that fruit off of that plant continuously. Okay. What about the uh, the bacteria? Like if you're using soil or even, well, hydroponics probably know, but with soil, you know, the bacteria and the mycorrhizae that uh, that associate with the plant's the root system, is there any anything that can be done there to help the plant produce what you want? Or could there be a different mechanism to produce what you want by having, let's say, a different microbiome associated with uh, a certain plant to change its function? You know, so I, there's a lot of uh, microbiomes of plants, uh, including symbioses with, with mycorrhizae. It's an active area of research. And there's definitely people working on, on beneficial communities of bacteria and fungi that can facilitate better growth and development. I'm not aware of anywhere they're doing that to make the plant produce something different. But definitely there's, there's a, a positive impact of some microbiomes, just like there is in the human research field in terms of enhancing health. Yeah, there's too much to know. So I was just wondering, but yeah, yeah. I mean, if you're yeah. dealing with the genomics, <laughs> there's like 10 other things to look at too. It's very complicated. Yeah, no, it's an exciting area of research, right? That, you know, we there's this whole community of organisms and some, some have benefits and some don't. Okay, very cool. Well, Robin, what's the best way for people to learn more about your work? Where can they go? So yeah, they could just do an internet search and look for Buell Lab at UGA and they could find my website and they can read about the different projects that we have. Okay, Buell is B-U-E-L-L, Buell Lab, is that right? Yes. University of Georgia. Okay, excellent. Well, Robin, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. Remember, before you go, to grab your one penny bag of pine pollen for all the amazing 
all-natural hormonal support that men and women the world over are raving about. Try it out and see how it works for you. All you have to do is head to GeniusPollen.com to grab your bag today. Within days, you may be able to notice greater energy, more focus, added recovery, and more. Again, please visit GeniusPollen.com to learn more now. Thank you. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.